Welcome to Fandoms, Culture, and Perhaps a Few Murders. Today's topic is about Doctor Who, our favorite doctors, and the companions we love and hate. I am Alpha, a.k.a. Stormageddon, Dark Lord of All. With me is Spade, the Beast of Trenzalor. Don't be lasagna. <laughs> and of course, the Shadow of the Valiard, Feline. Pears are funny. <laughs> All right, first... I'm going to talk about my favorite doctor, and it's the king of eyebrows, the axe-slaying, dinosaur-flirting, no-bullshitting, sitting in a room full of Daleks, sipping tea, he's Rivers Doctor in mine, number 12, played by the always awesome Peter Capaldi, known to me as 13-1, not 12, but that can be a conversation for another time or maybe later this episode, who knows. He's my favorite, favorite, favorite. He is the best. Every episode he has is gold. I don't think he has a single bad episode. He kills it in every single one. It's his companions. <laughs> that's the problem for me. But that's for later. I think we second and third that. Yeah. It's yeah, Capaldi. Capaldi's the shit. Number one, I love as someone who embraces the Vulcan life and no bullshit type shit, man. Ugh. His logic and follow through and push forward and just solving problems instead of lingering. Oh, I love it. I love everything about it. I love his eyebrows. I love his, his speedy wit. And how, no matter how fast he goes, he always throws in a jab or a, or a, a roast to somebody, even if it's himself. I love, it. I love 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 him. <laughs> He's my favorite. I feel like a lot of people, of course, whenever there's a new doctor, they're always a bit hesitant. And especially since he was older than the previous couple of doctors. It was because he wasn't the young and pretty one. People yeah. People were hating. They don't need to have, people forgot like right then, like, oh, we need to have pretty duck. No, we don't. This motherfucker is old. Thousands of years old. What do you think he was going to show it? Ugh. If you just watched it, like, you have to at least watch an episode or two of the new doctor to really like see where they're going, you know? And if they just watched it, they could see how great he was. He was darker than the previous ones, but I feel like the kind of weight should have been there because of what this character is. He's old, he's ancient damn near, and he's been through some shit. It was building up. With the previous doctors, they were talking about, you know, how do you remember? Are you the doctor that forgets? Um, yeah, the 50th. Yeah, exactly. They were in that room together, stuck, trying to figure out how to open a wooden door. And they were they're talking about like how could you forget? He's like, no, I remember each one. And he gave the, like you know hit them with the number and boom, you know he remembers the names. And then it was Smith Doctor who's trying to forget and trying to push on and trying to be happy and bubbly. He was the one that had the, the younger face, the facade. But all of that was weighing heavy on his heart. And Capaldi was the doctor that showed it. Capaldi was the doctor that let it all out and was just like, fuck this, fuck it. And he was tired. He was ready to go. He was tired. The poor man. He was showing it, and Capaldi was a perfect actor to sit there and, and, and show everything that needed to be shown with this doctor. I loved it, every second of it. I was gonna say too, like, especially because of the actor himself, all of his lines could be delivered with such gravitas, where you really felt what he was going through. Or a threat that he made. Oh yeah, him doing threats is great. You could feel like, I don't, I'm trying to figure out how to word it, but like... When it needed to get deep, it got deep. When it got light, he let it be light, but there was always a weight to it, even in the lightness. Yeah. I absolutely feel you. <laughs> he gave you the no bullshit. He showed you that it was tough, that it was hard on him. He was the, like, I'm over the niceties. And that's exactly what he was. What I was, what I liked about him too, is he let you play out your bullshit because he knew he was gonna have to come in and save shit. And he was already five, 20 steps ahead of everybody. So he was letting people do shit. He wasn't afraid to make ruthless choices. Yes! 
He was abrasive, rude when he needed to be, quick to disassociate with people. He wasn't countering your feelings. Like, your feelings don't matter in the situation. Yeah, Capaldi mentioned shortly after he was cast that he was going to be a different doctor. He wasn't going to be the ones that were as easily accessible as the ones before him. And he said that his doctor was going to bring him back to being alien. He was just going to do what needed to be done as soon as he assessed the situation. Right. Uh, he doesn't have a bad episode for me. The only bad episodes that are any ones that involve Clara. <laughs> he tried to be somebody she wasn't and even admitted to trying to be the doctor, trying to surpass him. Instead of being able to fuck him, she wanted to be him. And that's what the hell happened. Because she couldn't fuck the doctor when she, he was Smith and he was an older dude now. She wanted to try to be him and try to be past him and try to be better because she thought being human was better. And I'm like, I can't wear her. Every every time she tried to show up and do shit, it annoyed the fuck out of me. The only good episode I liked was when Missy was fucking with her when they were stuck on the planet of the Daleks. I loved every scene involving her and Missy because Missy sat there. And she, when she tried to sit there and get the dog, she thought he was her friend. Like, she was the best friend. Bitch, who the fuck you think you are? I should touch her heart. Ah, I love her. I love Missy. I can't. I can't stand Clara. She's like, you see that couple over there? You're the puppy. <laughs> yes. I was gonna mention Missy too because, like, for as much as I love Capaldi, his interactions with Missy, especially that incarnation of the Master with Michelle Gomez and the way she played it, was just great. Seeing both of them together. This is my favorite. This is my favorite incarnation. It's like the era. Uh, this particular era of who had so many positives going for it. One, you had a memorable doctor who could carry the weight of how old the character is supposed to be, and a master that was comparable during his time. And on top of that, he was made to be River's doctor. Yeah, River. River and uh, Missy are both on my list. When Capaldi was decided to teach Bill Potts, it was awesome. The diatribe between him and every companion that he encounters has been fucking awesome. I was going to say, too, what could contribute to that is because he was an older older man, not being the young, pretty face and everything, there wasn't that like underlying romance thing that they seemed to need to have in every other doctor's run with every companion. Right. Oh, my God. That shit was annoying. Donna, Martha, I'm over her. Not Donna, sorry. <laughs> Martha, I'm over it. I made a mention to you a while ago, while you already noted the interaction between Clara and Eleven that yeah it was a thing where she admitted you know in the town of Christmas where nobody could lie that she ran away with the man because she fancied him now outside of that because she knew and saw clearly that he regenerated into an, an older looking man it went from being a crush to a mentor mentee thing because they tried to build that and they dropped lines like in uh, the Robots of Sherwood where he said that she looks at you like you're her hero. And it was from that point on, oh, even yeah, going into the Girl Who Died episode, she looked at him with just straight adoration because she knew that this man who's so capable of so many things and could easily just, you know, take off at any time, intervened because he heard a crying child. So I feel like it was more not her trying to 
be better than the doctor. She wanted to be like him. She definitely wanted to emulate him. And I, I absolutely admit that, that it's probably going to be more along the lines of a, of a toddler ad- admiration of a fucking superhero and wanting to get a cape and have superpowers and be able to just do what that superhero can do. And I get that. That's where she's fucking coming from. But my point is, is that like, she's a teacher. She is, she's a grown adult female with logic. So when he literally transforms in front of her, when she treats him as he does, you can tell how heartbroken he is, even when he's watching her on the phone with his previous self. He is hurt, and Capaldi is, is showing that, and it, like, it, that shit pissed me, that shit made me, like, the moment that shit happened, I was so mad at her. Yeah, but you couldn't get really so, mad yeah. at her. You couldn't get mad at her particularly. Yes, within the story, you could, but she was just the vessel for the people who were used to that is like speaking to the audience through the screen that hey you guys had your younger doctors now we're going in this direction so they wrote her to kind of emulate what the fan base seemed to have been feeling at the time once he was cast because like and like you said there wasn't a bad episode every episode he was in was written well the problem was is that the ratings didn't reflect what it did for attendant and for smith you see what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, and, and, and that's sad too because not, uh, they're robbing themselves of the opportunity to have seen, you know, a really good portrayal. That's what I was saying. They, if they just watched a few of his episodes rather than immediately being turned off just because he looks different, mm-hmm. they could have seen how great he can be. Or how he was. I yeah. We agree. I'm just saying, as far as Clara is concerned and the writing for her character. I get that she's supposed to be us in the in the show. That's she's our relation, our connection to the show. She is us in our point of view. But my problem is, is they have to stop doing that for people. People who are watching this understand the metaphors and the shit going on as far as people relation to Clara. My problem is, is they should need they need to write her better. Start pandering to to people who they want to sit there and, and get more into the audience. People love Doctor Who. Yes, it's fine. And then more people will come because I've got you and a couple of my friends into Doctor Who by showing all very specific episodes that I knew would draw you all in. That's all you have to do. I was drawn in because I'm always going to dig an inanimate object that isn't supposed to fucking move, moving and killing people. So it doesn't doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter in what vehicle you introduce that to me in. It's It's just a matter of can I watch the rest of it for the other people who aren't that thing? And in this case, it was a perfect vehicle to segue into because it was a very Dr. Light episode. He only appeared in a few clips. For really, blank. Yeah, really it was all about Sally Sparrow doing yeah. you know, the, the, the stuff, having to deal with this problem on her own and getting these pre-recorded snippets from the Doctor. And then, of course, when we got to see uh, him and Martha for brief instances in real time. That was also a very you know, good example of the timey-wimey. Mm-hmm. Right, and it was something so benign and innocent looking that was just so evil and fucked up and it is such such a dirty way to go. So I feel like it was just tapping into people's innate fear of things that aren't supposed to move, especially, you know, specifically statues in this case. People do always seem to think that something from the corner of their eye, which, you know, is something that falls in quite a few episodes in Doctor Who, the phrase that is, but, um, you know, a statue moving. It just freaks people out because, it, you know, you, you tapped into that when you created these creatures. So, of course, they're going to be one of the most popular villains of the show. What is it that Capaldi said? Something in the corner of your eye. The, the footstep that follows never passing by. I like the, the Whisper Man. 
Oh yeah, during eleven zero. You hear the whisperman, the whisperman in here. Proof you hear the whisperman to turn away your ear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, See they have such good nursery right. rhymes. <laughs> There's a lot of um, phrases that were really written well, and even if they were how they are written down, it's all about the other half of that. Being delivered by the actor saying, "Yeah, it. I was just about to say, like, because if I was gonna go back to Capaldi and like shine on him some more, mm-hmm. like the way he could deliver his lines too, it always just sounded so good. I mean, he's literally a professional, but it sounds so professional." Mm-hmm. <laughs> There was the Christmas special with Doctor Mysterio, and how he gave them the chance to run away, and they were saying. What do you want?、And、he was like mercy. He was like we have none. He said it wasn't a question.、Mm-hmm. He was like just pop off, run. I promise I won't even pursue you. <laughs> but but yet he let them know everyone who tried to take over the earth all ran or burned, and that's who he was. Capaldi was awesome, and he knew it. And what I like, what I liked was at the end, like it wasn't Smith. That was her doctor, and she kept thinking it was Smith. And then that scene in the in the in the evil floating restaurant that was on like a, a meteor or some shit.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that one when she was sitting. You don't love the sun. You, you know, you don't you don't expect the a, a sun to love you back and shit like that. And like that whole speech, she was looking at her like.、Mm. <laughs> yeah, the thing and the the look that he had when he、yeah. called her on it after the fact that、oh, that that、so、shit eating grin. He was the Cheshire cat. He was the cat in the milk.、Mm-hmm. He was all he was hamming it up. He was like, I won't touch the. Was, he's like, I can't touch the 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 roots of the sun themselves. Yeah, roots of the sunset. <laughs> Talk with the stars themselves. Some shit. I loved it.、Yeah. Oh, he was the cat that got the mouth. Honestly, the thing about it is, is that I don't think that she. I don't remember anything that would give the impression that she thought that Smith was her doctor. The way that she described the foretelling of the of her doctor was what she did in the silence in the library when she told Ten that no, you're not my doctor because he could walk into a room. Snap his fingers and the TARDIS would open、yeah. to that effect, and he'd never tried it until after she was gone, and、yeah. then that carried on because Eleven did it, and then everything just fell into place after that. I will say that her and Eleven did have pretty good chemistry, though. Like yeah, even for him being younger, the writers, the writers definitely made it seem like Eleven was going to be her doctor. That's why I was going off of that, and that that's that whole time, and that he was trying so hard not to like. Meet her as often because he knew that the end was coming. And it's funny too because it's almost like Ten gave a compliment to Twelve when after he discovered he's like wait I gave her my Sonic why would I do that and then when he discovered her light inside the Sonic he was like, oh look at that I am very good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a good one. He's like but why would I give it to her why 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 and then he's at there literally Capaldi Capaldi's the one who sits there and gives it to her. He already knows what he needs to have into. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I wish they could have been more, but I know they had their twenty-five years for them. The twenty-four years for them. Yeah, which is would a really nice ending for them. It really was. I was so happy about that. I was just sad that it was ending.、Uh, I would love to have had him, River, maybe Missy and Jack Harkness together. Yeah, I was gonna say I would have loved to、Jack、see like、Harkness. Missy and River interact. Just two episodes, man. Two episodes. It's all I want, and I think it'd be the absolute best. <sighs> oh, they would get along like a house on fire. I feel like Jack would 
probably bounce off of Missy pretty well. I can imagine the barbs that would be traded between them. Besides, like the flirts yes, too. The clear flirtations. Yeah, I was gonna say he would. He would. I think he'd flirt with her more because I knew he he'd be way more resistant. Mm-hmm. River would flirt back. Yeah. Hard. Yeah, she was flirting with herself when what Sim yep. was sitting there saying like, "Is it wrong?" And she's like, yeah. "Yes, very." Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like, "I remember this very mean lady pushed me up against a pole and told me to always carry his beer." That's so funny. I love that. That that episode too was so good. Even with poor Ponce. Poor Bill. Poor, poor Bill. It's so heartbroken when it happened. Yeah, Bill I is a pretty good one. I almost shed a tear and I don't cry for nothing. I don't cry for nothing. I almost shed a tear for Bill when I found out that she happened. I was like, no, not Bill. I wanted at least one more season of Bill. Honestly, they probably would have done another season had Capaldi stayed on. They, they should have had Bill with her star-crossed lover. It, it's almost like a, another unfinished story, like Clara bouncing around the universe and the other TARDIS with me. I'm glad that nothing ever came off of that because I really don't like Clara. You know what I'm surprised that we never saw? In the 50th, the same 50th that we were talking about earlier, where we saw Capaldi's eyebrows, just his brows, for the very first time. They never went to that moment. <sighs> Yeah, at they all. never showed it for when they sat there and put Gallifrey in the bubble. That's right. And even though, despite Moffat and Capaldi themselves saying that it was going to be addressed ahead of when they were starting filming, but, you know, it just didn't pan out. Like, he couldn't have even said, like, I'm going to go do something real quick. I'll come back. It'll take five minutes. He pops over there, comes back, and like, I did a thing, you know? Which he has dropped those lines, which makes you wonder whether or not he was referring to said thing or referring to what we're about to see or what we had already seen. There was bits of time when when he would leave, when Clara was with Danny Pink. Yeah. They could always fill he it in during those times, of course. Shit. He could have always done it in between there at any time. That's like an easy exit to, you know, to write. show the full outfit. It's just his eyebrows. Moffat said that he had always planned for Capaldi to be in the 50th anniversary episode. So he had already filmed it in advance before they started filming his series. And them doing a lot of the, the time bouncing, of course, they could, the doctor is not always together with the companions. He could be doing whatever. But there was like no mention, not, not a reference or anything. And I felt like that probably would have been nice to have been able to see explained away a bit. But yeah. It's funny because there's a lot of things that they'll do that obviously will never get explained away. And I guess the fan base they expect would just have all these questions and probably make their own assumptions but they probably feel like they don't have to answer those situations that you see on on camera like with the most recent series having been concluded with flux and the new year's special i feel like um they a negative for the show is they completely convoluted the doctor's backstory and there's no way they're really explaining all that away except for in that scene where she could have found out what her history was but opted to just drop it into the heart of the TARDIS and not be able to find it. So it's like a, a easy out for any future writers not to have to dig into that. Although they could always reference small things from it, but you know, will anything pan out from it? Because we already have all this time jumping and having to watch episodes numerous times to try to to follow the connective tissue but then now they seem to completely muddle the backstory and i feel like if they can simplify it or just you know get back to basics because the show's ratings have declined during her run and it's a matter of after setting records early on because obviously she's the first female doctor as far as jodie whittaker we're talking for the audience who may or may not know she takes over 
she draws huge numbers. The whole first series of hers seemed to be a, a social justice thing, where there's quite a few episodes dealing with real history and talking about equality and you know like real world situations, but within the containment of their fantastical stories. And then, but I feel like that—that's a part of like people not wanting to sit there and deal with real world shit in a fake world. But representation matters. Representation does matter, and but we have to find a way to make it regular and putting it in TVs on a regular basis is necessary. Well, see, not here's the thing: down people's throats, but we can't normalize anything if we don't actually visualize it on a normal basis. Well, that's the thing. Like, I agree, it should be there, but shoving down your throats is a problem. How do you do it better though? I don't think for the first time you have a female doctor, you make her entire first five or six episodes all about that, you know what I mean? Because then it's immediately all in your face all at once rather than something that you can spread out throughout the show. So it's there. I feel like how they're doing it at the tail end is is a better way of doing it. Like showing that, uh, what's her face? Yeah, right? Sitting there saying that she's actually possibly in love with the doctor. Putting that in there just subtly in there is fine. I don't have a problem with that. When you do shit like that, it's fine. But when you shove it in people's faces in the first couple fucking episodes, instead of just letting it slowly be something in the background or something that's revealed by a character at the end, you know what I'm saying? Like that, let it be put in there. Like Deadpool, for instance. She just walked in with her girl and they were talking. She was like, hey, I was just surprised. It wasn't about you being lesbian. It was about some surprise somebody was even dating you. And, you know, it just turned it into that. Deadpool did it did it a good way, I think, when you do shit like that. And then for the rest of the film, it's not highlighted. You just see them together or showing affection. They're not shoving in anybody's throats, shit like that. That's what I mean. I feel like that's also why it was so, like, kind of rough watching her first season. But they also didn't give her good monsters either. I mean, like, the Sand Monsters one wasn't very good. They haven't done very well with her bad guys either. I didn't mind the bad guys that they have now, but they should have done more with them instead of the ending that they put out here. And spoilers for anybody who hasn't sit there and been catching up. They just get reabsorbed into the main fucking guy who looked like one of the other fucking baddies in the first place. I'm and that's s- the baddie who's just like, oh, I'll reset everything so you can live everything over again. Boom, bad normal what the fuck that whole thing was really confusing and it felt like it was such a dramatic build-up for really nothing whatsoever like it seemed like there was zero consequences right they were gonna destroy an entire universe and shove people from this universe into the other universe but the people who were left over they were gonna die like, and can i what was gonna happen and it was just like he he just like no my minions were doing this for me and i decided no and then just stopped it and supposedly put everything back to normal. You know, it, it turned into that fucking dynasty thing where all, everything just didn't happen. Nobody died. Nobody was injured. It was just some bitch's dream and she wakes up with her dead husband taking a shower and all of a sudden everything's fucking hunky-dory. It felt like they didn't know what to do with their fucking story. They just did that. Besides her first season having just a lot of like really social justice things all at once, the rest of her shit just got so confusing. It's like they've really just made a mess of what they were doing because they thought they were doing something that was thought provoking and clever. Yeah, no, now it's just confusing. It's a whole mess. I'm not a fan of 13's entire run. And it isn't necessarily to be clear about Jodie Whittaker's portrayal. She brought 
her own imprint to the doctor as every actor and actress will and has. She's uh, a good doctor. My, I like her wit. I like her speech. I love her thought process. I like her. My issue is tying back to, I believe it's the showrunner. The showrunner threw a lot of the social justice things in there. He threw a relationship that Yaz all of a sudden is falling in love with the doctor. That came out of left field. There was no build up to right. that. And there's nothing to substantiate that. She was completely independent and seemingly looking like it was naturally merging into a potential relationship with Ryan Sinclair. And it didn't seem to pan that way, even though they were clearly kind of paired. Yeah, it was kind of right, going that way. And shit like yeah. that. Then the next episode, this motherfucker has a wife with a potential kid coming. Like, yeah. completely out of field. Why would you bother trying to build scenes with tension of like direct on contact and then heavy music and shit and then like scenery chopping and lingering and editing that way if, if that wasn't where you were going with it? And then on top of that, he also specifically said before the start of the season, we're not going to go with. The monsters you've seen over and over again we're gonna do new ones now grant he did some new ones but what did he do he went back in the very first oh we can't do christmas episodes because all the christmas episodes were done it's tired so you did a new year's episode that's and, like a week later and you brought <laughs> and you brought the daleks yeah you might have changed the look but it's still a dalek he just went back on everything he said <laughs> and cybermen showed up yeah, the Cybermen, just because you gave them the fancy hats and the signs and the fancy cloaks and shit, doesn't change the fact that they're still Cybermen. And, you know, I feel like they should have waited to reintroduce another master. Right. Because they didn't even explain what the fuck happened to Missy because as far as they made it seem to us, Sim's master shot her while she was regenerating, thus interrupting the regeneration process and then implying to us that she was dead dead. Yeah, he actually verbalized that was what he was doing to her. Right, he said that would kill him. Now to be fair, this is at the end of Moffat's run as showrunner before Chris Chibnall took over. So granted, every showrunner is going to change whatever they want to change when they take over a series. But the fact of the matter is, is that you made an already somewhat messy story. But you're also, just to digress, the Doctor going into New Who, starting with Christopher Eccleston, we know that the history of the Doctor was supposed to be shrouded in some mystery. Some of it would eventually come to light, obviously, as the show continued to progress, but largely it was manageable. Now, with her second series, in saying that she's not even Gallifreyan, she's not even a Time Lord, she's some other being altogether, and saying she has an unlimited number of regenerations, I have no problem with that, because clearly the longer that the show remains popular, and you're going to have a bunch of different actors and actresses portraying them, then you can't limit a regeneration. So fine, she can have unlimited regenerations. However, muddling the backstory, everybody knew she was a Time Lord. Everybody knew she was Gallifreyan. Yet now, we don't know what she is. And they conveniently threw away all the answers. Like, oh, here's all the answers you guys want? Let's just throw it away. Literally. Down a hole. Now, narratively, I can understand that, okay, I don't remember who I was. If I worked for Division, maybe that's something I don't want to remember. Fine. 
I have no problems with you not wanting to reconnect. He did it already with trying to not acknowledge the war doctor's existence. But you completely use that, as far as the writers are concerned, as a clean getaway without explaining it. Right, especially since the whole time she was really, really being kind of moody and angsty about her whole identity crisis thing. She was so fixated on it, she immediately threw it away. It was like gone just like that right so it's i need to know i need to know and then i don't need to know yeah i don't really need it's okay it's not that big a deal you know and i feel like a lot of shows nowadays anyway regardless of genre they do touch on social injustices and stuff in their episodes and some of them do it better than others some are more organic others obviously force it capaldi punch the guy who's being racist and that was enough said. Yeah, I'm pretty right. sure people were liking that. I mean, you saw it in Bill's eyes when he was sitting there talking about the human race, when she at the time was having her doubts about, you know, having him having admitted having killed people before. And yet... And her line of questioning for that, though, was fucking top-notch. Like, you didn't answer my question. Yeah. And the doctor's sidelines, actually, she's like, you didn't answer my fucking question. Ah, I love it. I love it. I love how smart Bill was and the questions that she asked. Love it. I love it. They were such a good thing to bounce off of each other. That's something too. I was going to say with Yaz's feelings for the Doctor now being a thing that they're introducing, it goes right back into the same tropes that we were getting away from. Yeah, the with boyfriend Capaldi. Doctor, so to speak. Yeah, the boyfriend girlfriend Doctor, the love interest. Why can't you just have a companion to be a friend, be a companion? Right, and there's nothing wrong with having a couple. There was Amy and Rory. I loved Amy and Rory yeah, together. Yeah, you can have Amy like, and Rory together and the episode where they bought their prop, their, their pop too with them. <laughs> with the doctor landing on the pop, the snakes and the light bulb in the house. Yeah. And he was wondering how the fuck he got out of there. Then he turned on him and he's like, oh, oh, okay. All right, let's go. <laughs> he has a trouble with him. I love him. Yeah, Eleven had some had some uh, good companions. Amy and Rory were obviously the strongest in, you know, River, of course, being associated with him. But also, even um, those who weren't regularly his companions, but you kind of consider a pseudo-companion, like his boy Craig. Craig was funny. Yeah. yeah. I like, as far as non-conventional um, companions, I like Wilford. Yeah, Feline got emo- gets emotional when, when Wilford's crying on screen. Yeah. Yes. Old man crying it hurts me. <laughs> I love Wilford. He's one of my favorites. So he would absolutely be a non-conventional uh, companion that I'd love on there. Anybody have any thoughts on 9 and 10, respectively? I like 10. No, I mean, I like 9. 9 was what my, my first doctor. 9 was really my first doctor. And the Christopher Eccleston. I like him as an actor. I love him as an actor. Regardless of some of the roles that they put him in, the writing that they write for him, like like the, the G.I. Joe <laughs> was a little rough but I loved him in it but I love him as a character and I love what he could bring to Ava and he was my first doctor and I liked him for it I loved his goofiness he looked like he had fun he looked kind of cheesy in some of the spots and he was he hammed it up a bit in some of it and I liked that he was my first doctor and my my foot stepped into Doctor Who and I was completely okay with that Nine has a special place in my heart as my first but Capaldi will be my favorite that every um, every Whovian has two doctors it's their first doctor and their doctor yeah and people say that about like love so everyone has their first love and only the last love yeah mm. yeah, <laughs> they're, yeah they're really interchangeable as, yeah exactly turn up and as far as tenant goes i liked tenant i just didn't like tenant wasn't as hard as he was when he first came out i feel like he was a heartbroken doctor he was very sad in a lot of, in, in, in some of the episodes you could just wear he wore the sadness yeah, he didn't want to talk about the past. and yeah, just, no. So he carried some of Nine 
forward because nine didn't want to talk about the past either he just knew he did something bad he had haunted look in his eyes yeah but like nine had the whole stop pause Eh, let's keep going. You know, like, shit up and live type shit, you know? Well, yeah. His description uh, was that he was a war-tone loner and that yeah, uh, he, was, he would use humor humor and determination just to protect the innocent. It's like he was trying to pay back as much as he could for what he did prior. Uh, his line in, in one where he, he went back in time to, what is it, the, the math child or whatever it was? Are you my mommy? Yeah. So in that one, he's like, just this once, everybody lives. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could tell, like, there, you know, he was clearly affected. And it was such a good scene. It was clearly, clearly affected by what was happening to him and what he was currently witnessing and the shit that was going to pop off. Traditionally, though, Tennant's, like, one of the most popular doctors, almost to the level of Tom Baker. I feel like he'd be, like, the emo doctor because he was just sad a lot. Like, you could always tell he carried... He showed like, the loneliness a lot more. Yes, 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 yes. Even when Donna was coming aboard, you could tell in the heart, but he's like, I don't want someone to come on and try to fall in love with me or whatever, because he's just sad. Because he just had a broken, break Martha's heart. He just lost Rose. This motherfucker's carrying layers of sadness with exes that weren't even exes. And I don't care what you say, him and Rose fucked. Tenny and Rose fucked. I'm going to put that on the record. I'm sure they did. <laughs> they absolutely had sex. So he was sad a lot, and I could tell from the sadness. And then the, the whole season with Martha wasn't a big, I wasn't a big fan of. I liked some of the episodes. I liked the writing. I, I liked the comedy of the background of the the moon episode. Did you do to tune on the moon? <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. The car episode where he lost Martha. Martha got kidnapped by people so they could move to the lower levels of a speedway that wasn't opening up. It was gridlock. At the face of Bo. Yes, gridlock. I liked that episode. But it, I think it's because the writing in it in the face of Bo. It wasn't because Martha was a victim and, you know, the doctor was off to go save her. Or, you know, the chick was, you know, talking about how, you know, she, she fancies him, but he doesn't fancy her back type shit. It's like all of that was ignorable for me. It was everything else in the episode that I enjoyed. And then the conversation with the face of Bo and then the reveal at the end. I really, and then the reveal later on that he, you know, Jack is the face of Bo. Like... That's another loose end that didn't get tied up. I want to see how Jack loses his head and becomes the face of Bo. I mean, it's possible they could always revisit it now that Russell Davies is back in charge as the new showrunner. And seeing as Harkness did just make a recent appearance during 13's season. Right. So it's possible. Hopefully. I was going to talk about Eleven just a little bit. He was pretty good, too. Like, he might have been, like, I liked 10, but he might have been a little bit better for me than 10 and might have been my favorite before 12. <laughs> I like more 12 episodes than I do of... Uh, I'm going to say Smith because in my head I'm staring their perspective different numbers. Yeah, because like the numbers are all off. I'm, I'm saying 12 and then 13 1 and then 10 and not 11 because he's really 11. See, all of that was... All of that was... <laughs> was feasible before they threw that out with 13. Yeah, so there's there's no there's no numbers, numbers now. Up, the man. only numbers that exist now are what they're known as. So Capaldi's 12, Whitaker's 13, and every other doctor is going to be whatever number or whatever name they're going to give going forward. So they threw Moffat's stuff out the window. Yeah, because like doesn't she have like at least two or three other generations that yeah, we saw? For. Yes, not including the, the one where so she it's was like a 16? child when she first got picked up by Tixayum. Oh, and let's not forget the trying to pick up um, on story threads that never got picked up in the visual medium of the show. They do have the big finish audiobooks that do get counted as part of the canon. 
So River has had plenty of adventures with multiple doctors. If you try to listen to any of her big Finnish audio stories the past few years. I was going to say too, didn't he give some regenerations to River? He did, but until she gave them back to save her, his life. Yeah, she ended up giving back all of hers. Like so oh, River's yeah. regeneration, that was the last, the last one. one. As okay. River herself is her last one. Now, in terms of the 11th Doctor, Matt Smith had a good... I feel like with Tenon's episodes, I liked them a little better and only very few over Eccleston's. And then Smith's, I liked more than tenants and then capaldi's are like more than smith's yeah so that is so it's the progression there and for smith he had the the whimsy type of friendly and approachable persona but he also seemed to show you just how old and tired he was in his eyes he carried it well in that look oh yeah he definitely did the like expressions really well yeah i like when he would sit there and get mad like in uh, When a Good Man Goes to War. Yeah, he's quick to anger. Yes. Yes, mm. yes. I love that bit. You saw him get mad or when you saw him, like, you could tell that when he was, when he started to lose is when you really saw him start to turn. And you could see a little bit of Dark Doctor coming out. And those are the really the only times that are really, not the only times, but really some of the better times that I like of Smith. I liked the, the, the Smith God episode the, where they went through the whole hotel. The God that Complex. Prison yep. for the, yeah, God Complex. I love how it's like a it's a, a dual play on words for that title because it was about him and you know his conflict with himself as well as and how how, how how Amy saw him as well as the building itself and I really I really like that episode what it, like it showed as well as like dives into madness I like think when that doc, like the other doctor when he was turning I think it's a good testament to his acting ability that he did have those really life light goofy moments where he was very kind of fun and carefree, but when he did turn, it was like serious, you know? Like, like the atmosphere yeah. around him darkened. Like essentially, his approachability was the facade. Yeah, and yeah. it was a well-kept like one. The Christmas episode with the kids and the, the present he had in the box, when he was sitting there like showing them, like, and they were just like, wow, he's like, I know. <laughs> And then he went from room to room showing them all the shit that he did to the house before they got there. And then he, she got, the, the, the mom got mad and he, he cornered her and he's like, listen, he didn't corner her, but she was like, listen, I get it. Why sit there and let them be happy now when they're only going to be sad later? And the answer is, it's because they're going to be sad later. Yeah. And just that simple line right there hit her like, damn, all right, let's have fun, guys. You know? Yeah. And it's like moments for the doctor in general, but like you saw it a lot for Eleven where... It's that kind of like bittersweet, the him trying to do his best in like tough situations and making tough calls to try to do his best. Capaldi had that too. It's just I feel like Smith was softer about it. Yeah, he felt like he really took each loss to heart, whereas uh, Twelve knew it to be a calculated in at times and also a casualty of war so to speak. Yeah, like he, Capaldi didn't necessarily want more people to die, but he was a little bit better about understanding, like, I'm doing my best to keep the rest of them alive. Yeah, he was like, I'm not going to stop you from your fucking stupidity at this point. Like, <laughs> yeah. If yeah. you be dumb, then go fucking be dumb, but I'm not going to let you drag us other people to be done with you. That episode, the bank heist, where he 
talked to the guy who could upload his memories. Where Capaldi echoed in that look when he had started to walk away, but then turned around, came back to his face, and then said, "You know what? You can find a shoulder to cry on. You'll probably need that. But right now, what you need is me." Yeah. And then he walked. Yeah. And then he walked away. And from our angle, we could see that he like he was pissed at the situation and pissed that he had to waste time saying that while just walking forward and like continuing like it. Over the, yeah, he's over the trust me speeches. I'm here to fuck shit up and not even chew bubble gum. Let's fuck shit up. And, <laughs> and, he, and he found out, uh, and we're talking, uh, yeah, we're talking about the, the guy, I forget what his name is, but again... The, like, android Yeah, the android guy. dude. At the end of it all, even though 12 clearly went about focusing on the mission at hand, which was to survive the situation, he also had in mind that the losses that he seemed to be so easy to you know just leave and like he told clara that you could tell you've been traveling with him for a while and she said what makes you say that because you're really good at the excuses but at that time at the end of it the people who he thought he let die were fine so he had this even though he orchestrated the entire heist as we would find out later on he still had the chess moves that you were talking about earlier before, that he had all 50 steps ahead and all that. One thing I will say is when Clara sat there and was trying to give him, like, customer service cards, yeah. <laughs> that shit was fucking funny. Like, it was how to be human cards. And then I swear to God, that's what they were. And he was just like, she's like, no, 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 use this one, this one, save this one. He's like, I'm sorry about the loss of your friends slash relatives slash pet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will do my best to keep the rest of you all alive. He was reading it so monotone as shit, and like, I, lo- I love. Yeah, he kept looking at Clara. I was like, "Is this enough? This is good." Right. It's like, do I have to say more? Like, can we get past this now? She's like, <laughs> like, like you're trying to keep a kid from a ball pit. It, they yeah. Say that they have to say hi to their relatives first before they get to go in the ball pit. Some of the <laughs> some of the burns that he had for people were really funny. And he'd say it in a way that they didn't get it at first, and it would take them a minute. And, and like, also, he didn't. Also, he did The back. way he, he, the way he delivered it, he didn't really care whether they got it at that moment or not. Oh, it's so good though. It's because he already knew the burn, and he was loving the burn and appreciated the burn <laughs> rapidly. Left. He's, like, yeah, like he snapped on Clara in the flatline episode. Where she was complaining about we're in Bristol, we're like, and he was like thirty miles or whatever miles away from where we ought to be. Is the TARDIS shrinking? And she's like, "This isn't interesting." And he's like, "No, this is interesting. You're annoying." Yeah. <laughs> He'd tell you straight out when in the episode where it was the girl who lived, and he had met me this time. She had some um, alter ego, and she was robbing people on the roads. But she was working for the uh, lion-looking, the lion-looking uh, alien. The Maisie Williams or whatever. Yes. Name? Yeah. And he had straight just assessed her and this lion dude, right? And he was like, "Kill me now!" And he was like, "Why? Because it's the only chance you'll ever have." Or it's, you know, be the like the smartest move you make. Yeah, and he said it very poignantly, like, "Make sure I'm fucking dead, or else." Right. You mm-hmm. can't fuck around, mm-hmm. like, because I'm coming for you, like. <laughs> he was the king of fuck around and find out. He 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 barely gave y'all a fucking chance, a first chance. Because Paulie was the type that would be like, you should have been doing right from the jump. You shouldn't need a second chance type person. Plus, speaking of like fun insults or good back and forth moments, him and Santa. Oh, that yes. was so fun. Oh, him and Santa back and forth was so good. Barb's back and forth with Santa. Talk about nobody likes tangerines because he said that it was his signature fruit. Yeah. And Santa talking about his sleigh. It's bigger on the inside. 
I love it. What's it? Nick Cross, is that his name? Is? Yep. Him and uh, Simon Pegg. Both fucking great actors. They're fucking hilarious together. And all those films made by, what is it? The, the, the Cornetto. The Cornetto Brothers, right? Or is it Cornetto Films? No, just the, the three Cornettos. This yeah. for or the the acting troupe that they were a part of when they were in college. Yeah, oh, it's just so fucking good. The, their movies are excellent. Simon Peck was uh, running the, the satellite after it got taken over by the Daleks and shit, and then there was a big old blob in the, the roof of the top floor that was running everything. It was doing a TV show thing, right? Yep. Yeah. I believe he was, his episode was during a Tenants run. Yeah. But he he, he did he did mention that you know he has been a part of the geek trifecta having appeared in star wars star trek and doctor who that's right wait we need we need him in a wait what was the, the supernatural one to favor those and then we need sherlock we need him and sherlock sherlock needs to come back that's another thing too the the super hulock <laughs> thing hey, oh, yeah. you know it, it, so many fan stories wanting you know sam and dean and the Doctor and Sherlock to all be in the same universe at the same time in the same place. I feel like there would be some really interesting and funny interactions. Like I've seen people like come up with their own like conversations that they think Sherlock would have, like dissecting the technology that the Doctor has and all. I think they would hit him and the Doctor having intellectual barbs between each other would be excellent. Yeah. But it has to be the right Doctor though. I would have him against Capaldi. Oh yeah, because he's real bitter. <laughs> so good. Though I think him and Smith with opposite personalities would be interesting. I feel like seeing how much Capaldi and Sherlock would be basically alike. Both highly yeah. intellectual. Both get bored really easily. So it's like, what could you do other than just training Barb's snide remarks and comments? Both of them not really meshing with humans i could watch the both of them telling people to shut up all day he'd be like shut up shut the up 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 both of them were like <laughs> capaldi could have had been the most recent doctor to have a long run with a fourth series had they not put his on hiatus in order to make the fourth series of Sir sherlock but it's hard to have a, a trade-up you kind of like to have both obviously yeah but at least you did get something for his loss of a season, you did get a Sherlock season that people didn't think was going to happen at the time. Sure Sherlock's such a good show. It is. That should be another one of our topics for later. I feel like Sherlock would be a good topic and our favorite nerd actors because I love that dude who's in everything but never gets a main role. Forever a supporting um, actor? Yes, the, the the one who he was in Firefly, he was in Star Trek. Good Lord, he was in everything. I'm gonna find his fucking name and I'm gonna tell you exactly who he is. Well, what ca- well, what you're talking about a supporting actor in Firefly. Yes, but not the main cast. Right. Okay, that probably would have to see his face. I know there's. I'm pretty sure I've seen his face. I know face there's part, the no. black guy who's been in a lot of things too as a supporting guy. He's been in Marvel movies, in like other shows. Other action movies. He was the gay CIA agent in the in the episode where they were looking for River while not knowing it was River that they were looking for in kid mode with the, the, the astronaut one. You talk about Mark Shepard. Yes. Him. He is my favorite nerd actor ever. Yeah. Feline knows that person. Everything, 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 everything. So if we were ever gonna do a topic, Mark Shepard would be the one I do. Because yeah. again, is it everything? He's Crowley in supernatural. Of course he is. He is in Supernatural. He's he's um he's a demon. I think he was a Cardassian in Star Trek, but I'm not sure. 
Um, again, he wasn't Firefly. He was Butcher. He was a, a dealer. Souls, souls good smuggler type shit. Yeah, he would be that character. Which is the Doctor episode. Of course, there's the gay CIA agent. That scene at the end with Nixon was fucking great. So many, so many, so many. I'm pretty sure he was in um, Farscape. Like, he's in everything. Everything nerd. We can um, add some more about companions, even though we've touched base on that a little bit. Ones that you don't like. Because we know you like... It's We're in agreement. We like Bill. We like... Amy and Rory. Clara, uh, we're in the middle of. But yeah, what about, and you mentioned Martha. Clara, we're on opposite. I don't mind her having, you know, like quick banter with Eleven and even a little bit of the dichotomy with, with Twelve. I'd say that Rose and Donna aren't high up on my list. Donna is like number four on my list. Because going down the list for me is going to be River, Bill Potts, Donna, Rory, and Amy together because they're one. Nardal, Captain Jack, Missy, Graham O'Brien, Wilford, and then Sarah Jane Smith. Those are my top companions right there. Nardal is dope. I think he's a great companion, and I think they could have been way more with how smart and witty he is with his comebacks. I think it was great. I think he carried every scene and he stole every scene he was in. He made sure that regardless of whether or not he was seen as a secondary character, you saw his ass and you were there with him. I was in the middle with Nardal. It was indifferent. I love Nardal. He's funny to me. I love his quickness and his quirk. I think Nardal really came into his own as a character after River going to the library because him being there as kind of like a tough love support for Capaldi when he wasn't feeling his greatest. Yeah. Made him funnier, but also made him more important to, like, keeping the Doctor on his feet. I agree. Because throughout his entire run with, like, Bill and stuff, and even without Bill in the uh, Doctor Mysterio episode, he was did a lot to make support him, like, helping him out in a lot of situations that he otherwise might have been a little bit screwed in. Like, the whole him being blind, you know? That was just really yeah. rough. He played it off well with him, though. Yeah, it was really funny watching him being like, oh, look at this. It's dialogue, and it says exactly this. <laughs> and he got surprisingly serious, but I feel like it worked well. I agree. No comments about me having Missy as a companion on my list? Missy's great. I love Missy. She's every scene, and I even thought, like, she's great being, like, all evil and awful and all, but it was sweet and kind of touching seeing her reconnect with her friendship with the doctor that scene when she was sitting with the piano and talking with the doctor i love that whole scene and then when they showed the little intimacy of them together and her just like crying and she's like you didn't say it was gonna be like this and he's like well and she was really like turning a page for her yeah i love i love <laughs> when she came busting out of the tardis when they showed up in that episode with the giant ass ship heading toward a black hole and she was like it's it's doctor who She's like, I'm Doctor Who. She's like, what are you doing? He doesn't actually call himself Doctor Who. She's like, I'm serious. Actual minutes. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, what do you call you guys? You know, pets, hors d'oeuvres, snacks. Like, <laughs> oh, I love Missy so much. Gold came out of Michelle Gomez. It comes out of Michelle Gomez. I'm telling you. The whole episode with her and Clara running around, it was really funny watching her <sighs> fuck with Clara because, like, she was so vindictive with it. She was pointedly fucking with her the whole time. And she was like, how long, how deep do you guess that is? And she's like, I don't know, maybe we should throw something down there. She's like, okay. And she pushed her ass. Oh, that was so good. And then when she hit, she's like, about 20 feet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I liked Clara mostly. I think for Eleven, she had a good amount of banter and decent chemistry. I was pretty mad at her when 
12 came into being and she was being really like negative and aggressive towards him because there was very little consideration from her character and again i do acknowledge that it was very much reflective of the audience being poorly receptive to him because he was older but as the character you know that for him you're still the same person that he knows so for you to suddenly treat him differently is going to be harsh and be painful i felt like he was too easy on her he should have been far more abrasive saying look this is who i am now I still remember you. I still remember our memories. But the fact of the matter is, new regeneration, new rules is what Eleven said when he regenerated. Yep. And I feel like Clara wasn't a bad companion, but she was more suited to Eleven than she was to Twelve. I mean, later on, she got better with Twelve, but... When it was clearly established that it was a mentor-mentee relationship. Yeah, it got better, but... I feel like during and then after her relationship with Danny, her character got a little bit weaker. Her being so like focused or her brain being like split between trying to do this double life thing where she's going on adventures but also be like human and having a relationship kind of messed with her dichotomy. Yeah. Honestly. I feel like she was weakened for that too. Yeah, I feel like her character was weakened, but I also feel like the character had done that to herself. I wasn't a fan of Danny. Communication is always key. And I wasn't, I, I liked the Danny Pink angle. I did not like what they did with it. Yeah. I loved the Christmas episode where they had Danny Pink because she wanted to stay and be with them. And I absolutely, absolutely sympathized with her. And I saw myself in that scene in that episode. That the person I had loved had passed away and I, and like I had put, got put into a coma and I was living with that person in that coma. I wouldn't want to leave the coma. I wouldn't want to fucking leave the coma. Again, what you said. I don't necessarily like how it was done because I can sympathize with that too. That's a strong emotional thing. It's hard to say. I know he was telling her in that moment, like, you have to leave or else you'll die. That's logic. But for such a strong emotional thing, that's hard to, like, turn down. Yeah. He was ultimately a plot device just to do that. Yeah, it was. He was pretty much a plot device, and that's probably what made it a little bit weaker. I mean, despite that fact, I just wasn't a big fan of Danny being in it at all. I'll add to another companion group that I would like to see have Owen spin off. I like them so much. It was the Paternoster gang. Remind me? I'm surprised you didn't mention Vastra or Jenny or Strax. <gasps> yeah! Oh my god, you know what? They should absolutely be on my list. Their representation done really well. Though they have been tra- they didn't travel with the doctor. They got picked up and dropped off. Strax got picked up from a war and dropped off there as recompense to sit there and get rid and, and pay back what happened to him. And for the same thing is kind of for Vasher since she fell in love with Jenny. So they've never really considered companions, but I would absolutely love a spinoff for them. I would love multi-episodes of them dealing with shit that would be kind of considered Sherlock Holmesy because that's what she was doing yeah. with the Snowman episode. I don't know if you heard me, but I said they were representation done really well. Yeah, that was organic. Yeah. Yes, that was absolutely okay. I loved them. I absolutely loved them. Any scene with them together is so cool. I love the reincarnation episode with Capaldi where it looks like she's painting Jenny and she's actually just doing like a fucking CIA board of fucking stripes and shit trying to connect shit. And like, and then when she turns it to show Jenny, Jenny's like posed and shit in a certain way. And she's like, I thought you were painting me. She's like, 
You brightened up the room, and then she goes, she tries to get her back to posing before she starts talking about what she has on a board. And she and, and Jenny actually went back to posing before she wait yeah. wait wait wait, wait a minute. What what am I doing? She had literally yeah. had her as eye candy. Yeah, it was so funny. She really had that chick had partially dressed. Like there's the, when it comes to corset outfits from back then, there's two other layers that she's got to put on at least over that. So she's taken off at least two to three layers of clothing to just get there. And she still wasn't even like completely undressed. It's <laughs> hilarious though that, you know, when Clara walked in, Vastra said, oh, good. Take your clothes off and put it right over there. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God, that was such a good like side adding too. <laughs> Those scenes add such a good, like it's like the difference that makes a house a home. It turns an episode into like a vision into somebody's life. It makes it seem so homey, and it seems like we just literally interrupted something that they probably would have comically done with each other if they didn't have guests. The chemistry between Vastra and, and Jenny is so good. Vastra, Jenny, and then Strax, just the fact that Strax himself is going to be comedic, the comedic you know, throw-in, mm-hmm. even though those two females are excellent on their own, is so funny because his extra comedy is going to be 100. So, you know, he'd be like, let's get ready to murder them. Like, we're only going to the store. So don't bring the acid guns. No, we're going to my... <laughs> yeah. No. Like... He's an odd piece, but it fits really well with their dynamic. If Torchwood got one, they fucking should get one. Honestly, in the age of streaming, if BBC ever wanted to do a streaming service, they could easily fund one of those limited time series like other you know streaming services yeah, do they should do a limited one and then if it does well which i think it should go to I a like full them. series yeah and I mean, it could be perfectly a sherlock thing and it would help fill in a gap of a lack of sherlock and especially they already established that the that sir arthur conan doyle's stories at that time were based on her adventures so yeah. sherlock is literally vastra right and i think they should fucking absolutely add that on there Absolutely. I'm just saying Absolutely. that, you know, Absolutely. with Vastra being a Silurian, I'm pretty sure Jenny uh, appreciates the tongue play. Yo, when she got that dude, tongue. Or, so in, in the, the, what was it, Good Man Goes to War? Yep. And they were on the, the asteroid. She was like, how, why do you put up with me? And then she hit that motherfucker from across the room with her tongue. And she, Jenny's like, you know why I put up with you, bitch. Yeah, you all she did was just, later. she took a, like, like, a, deep, a, a deep breath and a smile. And she was like, like <laughs> She purposely pulled out that tongue play to sit there and be like, why do you even put up with me? And like, bah. You know? That's why. <laughs> so good. Like Feline just said, a forked tongue. Yes. We talk That's about, we talk, we talk about one could, could be doing good. one thing while the other focuses on something else. <laughs> I didn't say which companions I dislike. And oh, it's sure. primarily Rose. I just don't fucking like her. <laughs> I just don't fucking like her. Just nothing about her. Like I didn't like her. Billy Piper as an actress isn't bad. See, I watched the, the show where she was like an escort. I watched a couple episodes of that. She isn't bad. It's the, the breathy pause. Isn't, she was too damselly in the show. Yeah, I was going to say she was very damselly and I don't like it. I don't believe that they did anything. I feel like he knew she wanted to, that he knew she had a crush on him. So what he did was he gave her a compensation prize, giving her a clone of him. So that way she could have something like him that looks like him that was a piece of him that she could have all her own when he could never see her again he gave her a blow up they, doll 
He flirted too much with each other. He flirted with everybody. Eleven completely flirted with Clara back and forth. So the the flirting thing, especially since if we're gonna go Amy talk about, too. oh yeah, we talk about it, uh, how yeah, especially Amy There's just in the very first uh, like episode, There's second episode rather. This work flirting, which is what he was doing with with Clara, and then there was. I'm gonna fl- I'm gonna fuck this bitch at the bar and then maybe come back in the jump off type flirting and that's what he did with Rose. Well, you can't sit there and say that about Eleven with Amy. Amy wanted to jump his guns right after the angels. Amy tried. He flicked her off like he found a spider on him. Yeah. That was so funny to me. There was a nun of the Church of Silence. Yeah. Talk about is that a new body? He's like, oh, this I've been rocking for centuries. He said, oh, nice though, tight. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so him or her got it in. Absolutely. Him or her got it in. Ted and Rose absolutely fuck. I don't care for what the fuck anybody says. If you don't think him and River got it in, they absolutely Well, did. that's different because that's, they, his wife. They, that's his wife. And it wasn't 10 who would have gotten into that. It would have been 11 and then, you know, Capaldi <laughs> during that. You tell me nothing happened during those 24 years. Yeah. Capaldi dug it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he hollowed her out before she went to the library. That's especially all. especially since she got all like shy about talking about how much she loved him in front of him without realizing. Mm-hmm. It's time for the In This Corner of the Universe segment. So, if any Transformers fans out there ever had some sort of dream of wanting to be able to be lulled to sleep by the voice of Optimus Prime, well, this is for you. (laughs) Viewers can't see my face, but I responded with confusion. Because I want the sultry sounds of... Autobots, roll out. I want Megatron, but I think Optimus Prime say... Wake up at 7 a.m. Roll out. So Peter Cullen, the legendary voice of Optimus Prime, has confirmed he is going to be narrating a sleep story that's aimed at both children and adults. And it's called The History of the Transformers, where he will talk about the history between the Autobots and the Decepticons. Now, this is going to be done exclusively on the Calm app. And it's supposed to help users to manage stress, sleep better, and to live a healthier and happier life. This seems like a fan service type of thing. I don't understand how the history of Cybertron is going to put you to sleep other than you or if you weren't interested, you would fall asleep to something you're not interested. Because, you know, he's got a very good voice. He does have a deep voice. Can I just say, like, I keep hearing this one line from one of the sequel movies where he's just going, one shall stand, one shall fall. (laughs) (laughs) I'm imagining him talking like the sleepy time uh, Otome. So, so like, you know how you're getting Otome and it's supposed to be an alarm clock, but it's going to be like a hot guy telling you to wake up? It's all breathy That's and stuff. Optimus Prime laying down on a bed. <laughs> It'd be more mechanical. Fire Force is set to end after its last three chapters. There is no confirmed schedule of when that will roll out per se. However, when it will roll out. Roll out. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. If it follows the schedule of Weekly Shonen Jump manga magazine, then the last three chapters of Fire Force will end within the month. Now, the creator of the series had already confirmed via Twitter that he submitted the last chapter already. So right now, as far as the manga goes, Fire Force is about to be complete. Whereas the anime is far behind, but is still ongoing. Hmm. That'd definitely be interesting. I want to see how it ends. Dakota Johnson of Fifty Shades of Grey fame has just been cast to be Madam Web in Sony's next Spider-Man related film. What the fuck? (laughs) So, 
you know Sony is trying to build out their Spider-Man universe characters. So there is a Black Cat film in the works. Now, on that note, Black Cat is heavily rumored to be played by Anya Taylor-Joy. I know the name. Yeah, she was the blonde in The New Mutants. Okay. The one in all the spooky stuff. Yes. Yeah, that had the little fucking ephemeral... And the most recent thing thing with former Dr. Matt Smith and Last Night in Soho as the female that the other girl sees into that past. It's rumored that she's being cast as Black Cat. However, it's not confirmed as of yet. But going back to the Madam Web casting, the thing is, is that they have her locked in to be this character. However, there's no production date set, but it's believed to be going into production soon. Um... Now, for those who are not familiar with the character, the character has a a neurovascular disease, so she is paralyzed. However, she uses machines that work as a web of sorts. She has telepathy. She has precognition and clairvoyance. Does she make sighs and turns away meekly and do, you know, just wistfully looking away? I was going to say, like, I don't know what else she's been in because I haven't seen anything, but I've seen, like, one and a half of the Fifty Shades of Grey movies, I'm pretty sure. And she just seems very flat in a lot of her delivery. And, like, I don't know if that was, like, the instruction she was given because, again, I have nothing to compare it to because I haven't seen her in anything else. But it was very, very flat. It doesn't really seem like a superhero thing. But I also am not super familiar with the character that she's going to be portraying. I think, I think that character was in a Spider-Man game that was kind of recent. The one that had like the Spider-Man noir stuff before Insomniac's Spider-Man game. Mm-hmm. I didn't really play much of it, but I saw bits of it and I touched it a little and I remember a female character who seemed like she was kind of in charge of the other spider versions. Now in this case, Madam Web is a villain. So she'd be part of that uh, that, that uh, coterie of films they're trying to come out with. I was going to say, like, I think she was kind of in a villainous role in the game, but I wasn't 100% sure. Now, it depends on which version of Madame Web she's going to be. I mean, obviously, being the main character, as I already described, there has been there, there have been four versions of the character to take that name, but they're all different people. Now, it is also notable that specifically the character version she's playing is a mutant. So, so Sony is about to go into mutants. Oh, shit. Since they could, oh, because, shit. you know, again, the Spider-Verse characters all belong to them, their film rights anyway. So they it's just a matter of whether or not they're going to introduce mutants before the Marvel Cinematic Universe gets to. I mean, they ought to. Yeah. I mean, technically they did because of New Mutants, Well, yeah, right? be, well, because of Fox. Yeah. Not, not Sony, well. but Fox. In video game news, a petition is nearing 150,000 signatures for Days Gone 2, which Sony has currently no plans to green light or pick up on. But that fan base is very passionate to want a sequel. Days Gone is the dude on the motorcycle, right? Who's yeah. looking yeah. for his possible girlfriend? Okay. His wife. Yeah, his wife. There's nothing wrong with the game. I don't see why it should take so much effort to make a sequel. Because, I mean, honestly... They have all the assets already. They have all the assets. And Sony is generally more open-minded about stuff like that. It feels kind of weird that they shut down the idea of a sequel. I know it didn't perform as well as they wanted it to. But there's also, like, nothing wrong with it. Like, literally nothing wrong with it. It just... I think what else came out around that time? I think it got overshadowed is the main thing. Well, actually, Days Gone came out with a period of a few months where it had it that moment to itself. It's just 
whether or not the competition like Nintendo or Microsoft might have came up with something in that well, time frame. Well, that's what I'm saying. But I, I can't think of it right now. I feel like I remember hearing that it kind of got overshadowed by something else. The thing that I knew for sure, it was received very mixedly between the critics and just gamers in general. So it was a bit divisive. The only thing I remember hearing is that people said it started kind of slow, but after that, it's fine. Something that was almost near universal was that Deacon's portrayal seemed flat and they had no personality. So then they had to delay the game to redo that character to make him just a bit more likable. It's almost similar to Aiden Pierce in the first Watch Dogs. <laughs> his face sucks. You need to put more life into this motherfucker. He did seem to be, you know, like just a drag personally. As far as, you know, when you're watching the cutscenes, he didn't, you know, he didn't seem like somebody you wanted to really play. But, you know, that I get that he was, you know, desensitized because he was living in a post-apocalyptic world and he lost his wife, or he believed he did. Or more of a totalitarian thing rather than Well, dealing with that too. But Military state in some cases. What I was going to say too is maybe you can give some, some slight consideration that a lot of the times, the main character is kind of be supposed to be a slight blank slate for you to portray yourself under the character, so that way you can immerse yourself. But that's not exactly an excuse to make them boring. Well, that's the thing, is that usually when they want you to do that, they let you know they, that they want you to see yourself in the role. Most games tend to try to tell you that when they give you someone bland. Yeah, um, you can't have the personality of a colon head. Exactly, head. that's what I'm saying. I don't believe that he, he doesn't benefit. This characterization doesn't benefit from that as an excuse. But um, they do have Sony that is, has a lot of projects in the works for you know the PS5 right now anyway, so I would imagine that they would want to divert their funding to sequels in better franchises, as well as them taking risks with brand new IPs, which they clearly are doing, as well as going into the live service game now, having um, 10 in the woodworks. Lastly, Build-A-Bear is trying to remind customers that they have an After Dark line of adult-themed <laughs> teddy bears. <laughs> Boudoir photo bear. Prices range from 15 to $20. They remind customers that After Dark offers unique gift ideas that are sure to get you hugged. What kind of furry shit? Specialized booty hole sewn onto the fucking bear. What do these night versions? Those are the night, night, the night option entail. Well, the After Dark line has things like do they put martini boob- glasses, suggestible T-shirts, <laughs> things like that. Do they put boobs on the bears? No. Your nipples are extra. They're keeping. They're keeping it. You know, keeping build a bear cute. It's just a matter of making negligee. them geared towards adults. Now, would there be negligees? Maybe, <laughs> but you probably have to visit their site to see. But I, I mean, I don't see it being one of the things that they offer. But I also don't see it being out of the realm of possibility. A little mini dildo to go with it, an accessory. Uh, it, it would be garter belts and, and, and fucking you know lace teddy bear tops. Now, it's just boxers for the men, but yet the women get tassels on the bear's nipple. That might be a thing. Hey, I'm down for it. I literally saw online somebody had a pug. Somebody sat there and bought on Amazon a, a pug-themed nipple tassels. You're gonna have a BDSM bear. <laughs> Whips. So good though. For the realm of Star Trek. There's a ship that is actually going to be sent out into space as a memorial ship. 
It's named Vulcan, and it will carry the ashes of Gene Roddenberry, his wife Majel Barrett Roddenberry, James Duan, who played Scotty, as well as 150 other Star Trek fans' ashes out into space. (gasps) That's awesome. And it was a promise that the guy who's heading this made to the actress back in 1997. For those people who are not familiar with Majel Barrett Roddenberry, she is... The, she was the widow of Gene Roddenberry who created Star Trek and you would know her visually as the mother of Deanna Troy in The Next Generation. Yeah. She's also the voice of the computer, right? Yeah, she was the voice of the of the Enterprise for every show and movie up until her death. I love her. Can I be signed up for the Klingon theme ship? I'd imagine that these Star Trek fans' ashes that are going out there would probably be people who have money to do this or win some sort of contest or something. Yeah, maybe a raffle or something yeah. to make it fair. Oh, yeah. yeah I see. saw one of the best online tattoos, and it was of a Klingon warbird ship on their hands, but it was done with black light ink, so you uh, could only see so the cloaking? tattoo when you flam the light Oh, on so there had to be a bird to pray. Yes, it's so dumb. I want it willingly, but I'm afraid of those types of tattoos. Some people will automatically think like cancer-inducing, things like that. Or tracking for those who are, you know, conspiracy theorists. (laughs) They can't track you when you're cloaked. I mean, you already got the 5G fucking worried about it, right? Yeah. So what have you got for the Am I the Asshole segment? All right. So the options are sister, daughter, roommates, and mom. Let's go with mom. All right. Am I the asshole for telling my mom that she can't come to my wedding if she wears red? Mark, 27. And my wife got engaged two years back and we're finally getting married in three months. My fiance, Hindu, is Indian. Okay, I was going to say. In her culture, <laughs> white is war at funerals and at the time of death. So even for our church wedding, she doesn't want to wear white. She decided to wear a custom designed pastel red dress. My mom and sister went dress shopping with her for the dress. Now, we didn't want anyone else to wear red for the wedding. We mentioned that on the wedding invitation and no one has any problem with that. But now suddenly my mom wants to wear red also for the wedding. Our wedding did get postponed due to the virus. And in that time, my mom was gifted a vibrant, fancy red gown that she wants to wear for the wedding, even though she knew that Indy was going to wear red for the wedding. Indy doesn't really want to fight my mother on the dress color and is ready to adjust, whereas I am not okay with her adjusting. The wedding day is supposed to be her big day, and I don't want her to compromise on that. I know she's not okay with my mom wearing that dress, but doesn't really want to have to fight with her. So I went ahead and told my mom that I had a problem with her wearing the red and she won't be allowed to come if she did go ahead and wear red. Now my sister and aunts are calling me an asshole for even suggesting that my mom won't be allowed to enter her own son's wedding just because of her dress. Am I the asshole? No, because I had a feeling as soon as you mentioned that the issue was with a red dress in Asian culture, and I am part Asian. I know red is a wedding dress color. Like, that's the thing over there. Yeah. So the fact that it is about cultural boundaries and she was aware of the fact, just because you got a gift doesn't change that, you know? Right. You were aware ahead of time. It's not like you- If she got a fucking fancy ass white dress as a fucking gift, would she be asking to wear that shit too? No, bitch. Right. Especially assuming that they themselves are not of any Asian ethnicity. I'm sure she understands the whole role that only the bride wears white at Western weddings. I don't think she'd go against that. Just because this is a different version of that doesn't mean you can go against it. Especially since you were told ahead of time. The wedding being postponed doesn't change that. You getting a new gift, a new dress you like, doesn't change that. You respect the fact that, yes, it's your son's wedding, so you should respect how he feels, but also his bride and her culture. Absolutely right. 
the layer of disrespect here. And clearly, it's not being explained properly to the other family members if they're bogarting him like this. Yeah. And you know how motherfuckers always like to sit there and try to make it seem like they're the other motherfuckers the problem? Yeah. They said that he, he, my son sat there and said he was uninviting me for the wedding because of the dress that I wanted to wear. He told me that I couldn't come. How dare he tell me that I can't attend my own son's wedding? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no one ever tells the full story. They just make themselves look good. Or the victim. Yeah, exactly. They're the ones that's being victimized at this point. I should be able to wear my red dress. It's not white, but white isn't the fucking theme of the wedding, bitch. No. She should get the the fact that wouldn't fly with an American wedding wearing a color that's specifically only for the person who the spotlight is supposed to be on. And you shouldn't disregard that just because the cultural boundary is different. I really hope that he doesn't cave on this because... I feel like this is going to set an important standard in your relationship that if you let your side of the family sort of overlook her culture and her traditions, I feel like that's going to carry over for their entire marriage. Like every time there's a family get together, they're not really going to want to do, like if she wants to eat something different rather than traditional Thanksgiving shit or Christmas shit, are they going to have a problem every single time? It sounds like they would. Exactly. I feel like he needs to put his foot down now for his wife and him. When it comes to Indian, the language, the culture, it's completely different. They're really subservient to their parents. And they have a whole culture around arranged marriages and and, and honor thy mother and thy father above all else type shit. And I feel like that's being in play here when she's like, I don't want to argue with your mom. I'm just going to let it go. You know, type shit. And like, no, you have to sit there. And like you said, set that precedent. You need to make that delineated line and not only show to your missus but to your mom as well that this shit is not gonna fucking fly this is our home this is our wedding this is what's gonna fucking happen because the next thing the next step is gonna be that mom taking a fucking extra mile yeah i've read in am i the asshole once where a mom sat there and, and was having problems with her mother-in-law and there's a brand new baby in the house and the mother-in-law took the spare keys that she had snuck into the house where they were sleeping at night and took the baby from the house to her house leaving a note saying the baby's with me, everything's fine. Yeah, that's the woman, a problem. The woman had just had this baby and was, you know, like literally the baby's like a month old. We, the mother-in-law was harassing them about wanting to see the baby and having the baby over with her overnight. I'm like, no, bitch, it's the first couple of months of this baby. Leave me and my baby here. And the mother wasn't happy, so she fucking broke into the house, essentially. Kidnapped their child and fucking took over to the house because the woman's been breastfeeding and didn't want to try formula yet. And yet when she found the note, she, her and her husband went buck wild and went over to her house and she's in the middle of feeding her child formula. I have nothing wrong with formula. I use formula too, but it's because I couldn't produce enough breast milk. But for people who can, that's best for the baby. And the fact that she did, sat there and did that, one, against the parents' wishes, then feeding the baby, like all that shit, just layers of shit. And all this is stemmed off of one or two things that they just let this mother slide off of. And that's where this shit would lead to. Yeah, you have to nip that shit in the bud. If there's a positive in this, at least they didn't walk in on her breastfeeding the child. <laughs> oh, that other one? Yeah, yeah, that was crazy. That would be a whole, that would be a whole <laughs> other <laughs> ass level shit. right there. Yeah. No, not Silence of the no, Lambs. No, um, the Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Hand That Rocks the Cradle, that's exactly right. That's what you knew we were exactly all looking for, too. Good on you, dude. You knew exactly what I was talking about. What was that lady? She was so pretty. The blonde chick. Rebecca De Mornay. Yes. She had a feline look to her. You know how, like, cats have that wide bridge of space between the nose? It's very like that part, similar to her. That wraps it up for this week's episode. Tune in next time as we discuss more talks. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. 
If you liked this show, please follow us on your preferred platform. You can leave us questions and comments or shoot us an email at fandomsculturemurder at gmail. Until next time. Bye. Thank you for listening. Appreciate y'all. Later. Bye.